I think that when I look at my students, the biggest difference I see between the students I see and um, and the way things were when I was an undergraduate student is it feels so much more competitive. It feels there's this urgency and there's this competitiveness. And I don't know if I was just kind of running in a different circle or something like that. Um, but, you know, for whatever reason, it seems as though the the pressure to get a prestigious co-op or to do something in particular or to participate in a particular extracurricular activity, that seems really intense, much more so than I remember. And, and that's actually why um, you'll notice in, in my class, right, I have the grace period for assignments and things like that. I kind of try and build in these like moments of slack because I know that students are under it seems like a lot more pressure than when I was going through university. Welcome everybody to this week's episode. We really appreciate you joining us. This podcast really shows us how we can all learn, live and thrive off of each other. By sharing our knowledge through our conversations, we will impart some knowledge whilst learning ourselves how to progress even further. Here is your host. Um, so yeah, so, so the people who are um, listening to you for the first time today, why don't you tell us something about yourself? Um, why you chose to pick the? Why you chose to do the things you're doing right now? Uh, you know, I think you know where I am now is probably not predictable based on where I started. Right. So I started out um, in mechanical engineering and um, and intending to go into biomechanics, and uh, I did a ma- I did my master's work in that area. And actually, at the end of my master's, I swore that I was done with school forever. I was I was like you. I said, "This is my last reading week. I'm done." Right <laughs> at the end of my master's, I was totally sick of it, totally burnt out on on academic life, and I swore that I was going into the the workforce forever. And I was completely wrong. I actually came back to school twice more and then did a postdoc after that. Um, And so, you know, in some ways it's not really likely that my path would have led to this exact place, you know, being here with you. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, after after working in industry, I decided to come back to school. And and first I went to OCAD and and did a master's degree in design, which is also, you know, quite a big departure from where I was going. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I went to Queens and did my PhD in in biomechanics. And so that was kind of a bit back to the way it was. Um, And then I did a postdoc in neuroscience, which is a really kind of an unconventional choice, especially for me. Now I'm I'm a teaching professor in design. And so it's kind of been back and forth. Mm -hmm. And it's actually been really great in that way because uh, I really don't think there's any such thing as wasted work. I've actually been able to use all of it. Right. Did you have any inclinations towards um, engineering when you were first growing up as a kid? Yeah, I, I definitely did. And and it's because uh, my dad uh, trained as a civil engineer and worked in the energy industry for a really long time. And so when I was growing up, he was always really positive about it. And, you know, um, and actually during high school, I kind of flirted with the idea of going into law. Uh, because I was just demolishing my my law school my law classes in high school. I was like, oh, maybe I would be good at this, you know. And I think I would be actually. But um, my dad convinced me not to do it, a- and um, he was absolutely correct. And he said, you know, Elizabeth, you know, lawyers people are always bringing them problems, and and it's always this, you know, people are coming to you and they're in a bad mood. It's not fun. Don't do it. Like you might be good at it. Don't do it. You're gonna hate it. And and I, I and you know and it, it was kind of one of the only times my dad's ever said not to do something. So, um, so, so I, I took his advice and went to engineering school 
And uh, it turns out that when I was in my professional life, I was working for lawyers and I got a much closer view of what they do day to day. And he was 100% correct. Engineering is way, way more fun for me because, uh, and not to say that no one should ever be a lawyer, but for me, um, I really like the part of my job that is helping students like you create something that a few weeks ago was just an idea, mm -hmm. right? And now it's a thing. And that's really exciting and it's really optimistic. And so engineering is this profession of optimism of people come to engineers when they want to make something happen. Um, that side of it really appeals to me. And I think my dad hit on that when I was really, really young, that like that was something that I would enjoy. Mm -hmm. And that kind of being in that process of, of always having to fix a problem was not something I was going to enjoy. Mm -hmm. Like as a kid, were you, would you always um, like break up our things and redo them again? And would you like big into Lego? And um, somewhat. I mean, mm -hmm. to a certain extent, I, I was actually more into um, drawing and art and that kind of side of things. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, if I had something to spend my allowance on, it was always art supplies, right? And, and that kind of thing. And so I kind of came to it from the, the side of, you know, I enjoyed the drawing and drafting side of engineering much more so than, than the physical side. And now, and now that I have a 3D printer in my office, I, I enjoy the physical <laughs> side of it more. But, you know, that was kind of how I entered things, mm -hmm. you know, and that was more when I was starting, being able to draw was more of a thing because AutoCAD was more limited in its capabilities, right? You know, now, uh, you know, at that time, it was just a, like a command line and you're typing like circle if you wanted to make a circle. Right. And, and now the tools are so much better. <laughs> yeah, because uh, and what was like life back in like what are the changes do you observe like when you back in high school years ago? Like, do, you see, do you see any noticeable changes to how yeah. things are right now? Yeah, I mean, the clothes are exactly the same. So so <laughs> the, the clothes I wore in high school have actually come back, and I joked that my mom sold all my old stuff, like, and people are wearing it now, you know, mm -hmm. because, you know, in terms of, like, it, there's been enough time for that those styles to come back. I think that when I look at my students, the biggest difference I see between the students I see and um, and the way things were when I was an undergraduate student is it feels so much more competitive. It feels there's this urgency and there's this competitiveness. And I don't know if I was just kind of running in a different circle or something like that. Um, but, you know, for whatever reason, it seems as though the, the pressure to get a prestigious co-op or to do something in particular or to participate in a particular extracurricular activity that seems really intense, much more so than I remember. And, and that's actually why um, you'll notice in, in my class, right, I have the grace period for assignments and things like that. I kind of try and build in these, like, moments of slack because I know that students are under, it seems like a lot more pressure mm -hmm. than when I was going through university. Mm -hmm. What do you think is, like, the, the, the leading um, cause for there's like a lot of pressure on students uh, in high school and university. So what do you think? Would be... I don't know. I, I wish I did. I, mm -hmm. You know, because then I would maybe be able to be a bit more effective mm -hmm. in mitigating it. <laughs> um, but I think part of it is that comparisons are a lot easier. So when I was in university, social media really wasn't a thing yet. Um, I was at the very, very beginning of, of Facebook, but that wasn't until my master's, right? Mm -hmm. And so all of your comparisons were kind of in person, right? And so your circle of people you were comparing yourself to was much smaller. Right. And your your data wasn't quite as complete, right? And so you didn't really have all this information about who's doing what amazing co-op and stuff like that. It just didn't exist, right? And so as long as you were kind of keeping up with your peers, everything was fine, you know? Mm -hmm. Actually, you know, um, in third year, I flunked fluids, right? And it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, in Mac, it's, third year fluids is really hard. And... I was devastated for like a day. And the reason why it was only a day is that it turns out half of my friends did too. 
And then we all went and wrote the makeup exam together, and we actually had a really nice time. And so, you know, this thing that could have been really devastating and really, really upsetting was kind of not that big a deal. Mm -hmm. um, just because everyone was kind of in the same boat. <laughs> and and I think that there's that doesn't really exist nowadays because, you know, the comparisons are so aggressive. Right. Yeah. What was what was life back in Queens like? Because you 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 were did you bachelor's in Mac. In yeah, Queens? bachelor's in Mac. Yeah. yeah. And so I spent a lot of time um, on the Formula Car team. So wow. um, and so and it's really interesting because, um, you know, my activity was I was involved in in building the chassis for the Formula Car team and and um, you know and and a lot of my close friends like my two best girlfriends now um, they were on the team with me and so that's twenty years ago that we were doing this, and you know. It's really interesting that now I teach a class that's basically about that. And, and um, you know, at the time, I never would have thought, oh, yeah, you know, I'm doing this activity. Um, I've lost all my arm here to the epoxy. Like, this is all going to pay off someday because I'm going to get a faculty job where I'm teaching this. Never even crossed my mind, right, <laughs> that, that this experience, you know, gluing a car together would actually have a really profound impact on my professional life 20 years later. Mm -hmm. And did you ever think about during your bachelor's, think about doing a um, master's at one point? Yeah, I, I did because, you know, in, in biomechanics, a master's is kind of your baseline qualification. It's really hard to do anything with just an undergraduate degree in, in the biomechanics world. And so I always kind of knew a master's was, was on the table. I was kind of on the fence about a PhD. Um, and, you know, and so... And so that's why I went away and I worked on it and I came back. And that ended up being a really good thing because when I came back, I had kind of that maturity and, and the work ethic that you build um, from industry and, and kind of that, I don't want to say common sense, but that, that you know, that ability to prioritize. Mm -hmm. Do you think a master's changes people's perspective uh, about like what happens in the real world when they get into jobs into the industry? Because usually the trajectory people take nowadays is um, bachelor's, and then in the last year, they're finding a job, full-time job. Yeah. Do you think doing a master's changes the way they look at life, uh, look at jobs in general? I think it changes. I think that the biggest change with a ma going from an undergrad to a master's is, is that in a master's, you're much more self-directed, ideally, right? And you are the expert on that project. And you probably know more about your project than your advisor does. And that's a really big shift from undergrad where you're kind of this, you know, it's not how we want it to be, but you're kind of this passive receptacle in, in some cases. Right. In a master's, you can't be that. That's that's impossible and because you're trying to discover new things. And so I think that that's the biggest shift is that all of a sudden you're accountable for all of the work that goes on. You have to do the reading. You have to do all of the experimental work. You have to be the one to make decisions about instrumentation. And so, you know, having that ownership is really a, a big, big shift. And it's, I think, a really useful one. Mm-hmm. So you're guessing, you're saying that you have to be really, the motivation has to be more intrinsic. Exactly, yeah. Right, yeah, because I, like when I talk to people and I ask them, do they plan on doing masters? The one big thing they say that is that it's a lot of work. I just want to get a job and just, you know, settle in. Yeah, but I don't even know if you can do that when you're having a job, you know, <laughs> like, um, you know, and, and, and again, maybe it was my own experience in industry, but um, but the folks that I was working with were really astonishingly bright and, and you're working really hard to keep up with them. And we were always learning and, and the firm actually did a decent amount of research. And so and the field was always changing and you always had client demands. And so. I wouldn't say that it, it was particularly like, uh, oh, I'm going to kick my feet up and, and do this for 30 years and I'm going to do it exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was only at the firm for, for five years. 
Um, and it felt as though um, I was always learning something. And actually, my first couple of months on the job, I would come home and I'd be exhausted because I'd learned so much that day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, probably even more than I did when I was a student. Um, be, be, you know, because you know you're you're learning a whole new domain area. So yeah, I don't know. And, and again, maybe it, that's only my experience, or maybe that's just how I work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I don't ever think that you get to do that. Right. Were the times during your master's where you thought that, oh, this was a bad decision? Oh, I wanted to drop out all the time. <laughs> I wanted to drop out. I fantasized about it. I, really? You know, like there was moments where I, and it wasn't that it was that hard. It was just, I just didn't see the path through it, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 you know, it felt a little bit like I was spinning my wheels and not really making any progress. And, you know, and, and you know, there's times when it just wasn't fun, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then, and then you get through it and, and you're like, wow, you know, that is actually a really substantial work or, you know, and, and you have those moments where it's really worthwhile. And, and actually, you know, even during my PhD, I actually had to start over. So I got about two years into it and the experiment I was working on, uh, we couldn't recruit for it. We, we ran out of people basically. And, um, and so I, I only got to reuse about probably 200 words out of my initial proposal. I only managed to salvage 200 words of it. Um, and I started entirely fresh on a totally new data set, you know, and, at, you know, in some ways it's a big setback, right? Cause you're saying goodbye to two years. Um, but on the other hand, in those two years, I had built the skills so that I could really do a good job the second time around. And so the second half went a lot faster than, mm-hmm. than the first, you know? And so even though, there was times in my master's where I was like, oh man, I really want to drop out. This sucks. <laughs> I, I also at the time was building the capability to do the, the stuff that came later. Mm-hmm. And the same thing goes for the first half of my PhD that none of that work will ever be useful, mm-hmm. but it was useful because I, I learned how to do all of this stuff, all of the, all of the coding, all of the math, everything I needed to do to do the second half, I learned in the first half. Right. Um, and so I really, truly think that there's no such thing as, as wasted work. Um, it all comes back eventually. Right. Like, what did you, when you were, when you're doing your bachelor's, what did you fantasize about, like, what made you want to do master's? Like, what was your fantasy about, like, when some, someone doing master's? You know what? I don't even know that I was thinking that far in <laughs> advance. I just knew that, like, almost everything that I might want to do mm-hmm. ran through that path, right? Everything I wanted to do was kind of in that research and development design kind of area. And most people graduating with a bachelor's at that time um, it, it weren't going to get into those roles. Mm-hmm. And so all I knew is that whatever the next step was probably involved a master's. And I had worked for a professor um, for the summer between third and fourth year. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. He, he was just the most wonderful man, Ursvis. And, um, and, you know, and I saw what his life was like, and I thought, wow, you know, I really would like to be like this guy. You know, he would pick up his phone and say, hello, Ursvis, I'm so glad you called. And he didn't know who it was, <laughs> right? He, he answers his phone the way, no matter who was calling, right? Right. And I, I really loved that optimism and, and all of that. Wow. Yeah, because... Because I, I ask this question because people often, they have this idea that something, you know, this is the way masters usually happens. This is the way, yeah. before getting into anything, people make choices, they fantasize about things. So I, that's why I wanted to uh, get that out of the way. Yeah, so. I had a pretty good idea of it because <laughs> I had worked for Earth for the, for the summer and I'd worked for the summer for um, a university in Germany between my, um, my undergrad and masters. I had a pretty good idea of what it meant to do a master's, but it's always unique based on who you're working with and the work that you're doing, you know, and there's always going to be kind of 
things that, that you don't expect to be the way that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even when I started my, my professorship here at Mac, there was things that I thought I was absolutely going to do. And, and then you try them out and you're like, oh, wait, that, that doesn't work at all the, the, the way I expected. And, and, you know, and so my classes change every year because I, I'm continually learning and, and amending them to make them work better. Mm-hmm. So what would you recommend to people who are making choices right now because they they think that things are going to be a certain way, but it turns out to be completely different? I think that in some cases that's a really good thing, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and you know, um, sometimes things turn out a lot better than you thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but you never get complete information. So all you can do is do the best you can with the data that you have. And so you can seek out as much data as you possibly can, right? And and, um, and talk to as many people as you can. But on the other hand, you want to be really careful with what advice you take. Um, you know, when I was starting my professorship here, I got a ton of terrible, terrible advice. Um, and it wasn't terrible advice objectively. It was terrible advice for me. Um, it, it was advice that made sense for someone with a totally different teaching style or a totally different um, set of classes that they were teaching. Um, it, it would be good advice for someone else, awful advice for me and for what I was doing. And so I think part of making those decisions is deciding who you listen to and who you don't. And, you know, and there's lots of people who are really smart people that don't know enough about your situation to give you really useful advice. Mm-hmm. And so being mindful of, you know, where is this advice coming from? It's probably always coming from a good place. Everyone mm-hmm. wants to be helpful. Uh, but, you know, do they do they know my experience well enough to be able to comment on this thoughtfully? You know, when I left uh, my job with MEA in industry, there was a lot of people who were like, you have lost your mind. You know, they thought that I had really, really messed up my life. Um, and I didn't. I, it, you know, in, in now I'm here with you. Mm-hmm. It, it was the right decision. Right. Um, but at the time, there was a lot of people who really didn't understand it. And mm-hmm. so just because other people don't understand your decision doesn't mean that it's the wrong one. Right. So who in your opinion is the best per- like best person to look up to? And like you said, like the people who give you advice, it was objectively good, but for you, it didn't work out. Yeah, there's there's some people whose advice I am always interested in. So like um, Dr. Lightstone, the chair in, in Mac, I want to know how she staples papers. I want to know what she eats for breakfast. I think everything she does is amazing, right? Um, and so I'll always take her advice on literally any issue. On the other hand, there's some friends of mine who I really turn to them when I'm looking for advice on a on a specific issue, you know, mm-hmm. and and I know that they they really understand me and. And they really understand that context, right? On the other hand, there's other people, and you know, I'm just kind of curious what they think in general. And it's not necessarily about their professional experience; it's just they know me. Um, but it really depends. I, I would say it's different for every problem, and it's different for you know. And so I kind of have this panel of people whose opinion I'm interested in, and and that's you know, and that's how it works. But mm-hmm. I don't think there's any one person in your life who always gives you the right advice. I mean, I would say that in my life, my, my parents are, you know, mm-hmm. very, very good. But even them, I, I would still seek another opinion too. Right. So the trick is, is to hear as many opinions as possible. Yeah. Right. And, but not take them any, any of them too seriously. Yeah. <laughs> At what point during master's do you, since you realize like, oh, damn, like it's, this is not what I expected. At what point do you, during your master's do you thought, okay, let's, let's do a PhD? I didn't. Okay. So I re- remember, I left my master's and I said, yeah. I'm never coming back here. I am done. Right. And then um, and then I went out to industry and, you know, and one of the reasons I thought I was done was because I thought I hated teaching, which it sounds shocking, right? Yeah. Because uh, you're in my right. class. Yeah. Um, and, and so I thought I hated teaching at the end of my master's because the TA ships I had, I wasn't enjoying them. They weren't in top of here is that I was good at. 
And so I went out and I was working and part of my role was to be involved in the training of people who are a little bit more junior than me, like not a lot more junior, but a little bit more junior. And I was really enjoying it. And so we were, you know, and I, I was showing them how to do things and we were having a really good time. And I was like, actually, I don't hate teaching. I hate teaching that. Oh, and the light bulb goes on that, you know, I was thinking, oh, I don't want to be a prof because like, why would I be a prof? I hate 40% of that job. Mm -hmm. um, but in reality, I didn't actually, I love it. I, I really, really enjoy teaching. Right. Um, and, and so that's what made it possible for me to go forward and do a PhD. Right. What was your first class? What was your first ever class like? when you first taught as a professor? So my first class, I, well, I didn't teach as a professor. So I taught um, when I was at Queens during my PhD. Mm -hmm. um, my my advisor um, was um, was on a, a research leave. And so I filled in for him in a biomechanics class. And so it was actually, it was amazing. It was a nice small class. There was only maybe 40 people in it. Um, and it was very, very close to my research area. Right. And so it was really fun, right? Because I didn't have to, I, I prepped obviously, but I didn't have to prep that much because I, I had just spent, you know, five years doing that math in my head, you mm -hmm. know, so it was really fun. Wow. Yeah, because I, I've always thought of being, at this point, there, there are times where I think about being a professor, but when I, when the, the idea of doing a PhD comes in mind, I'm like, you know what, it's fine. I'll just, uh, I'll just do what I'm doing, do what I'm doing right now. I don't I mean, a PhD is so different from, um, and I'm not trying to sell you on it, but, <laughs> but a PhD is so different from, um, from even from a master's in, and from an undergraduate, if it's actually more like being self-employed mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and you're sort of self-employed trying to find the solution to this problem and, and trying to, to generate knowledge in this area. And, and that self-directed part of it, I really enjoyed. I thought it was really great. Mm -hmm. um, I, I actually love independent work and, and being able to, to dive deep in, into these topics. And I, I, I do the same thing when I'm prepping lectures. Mm -hmm. You know, that idea of being able to really, you know, read a lot about something and, and learn a lot. I think it's really fun. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're one of those people, then, then yeah, PhD is awesome. <laughs> if you're not one of those people, then yeah, then it's not for you. When you're first getting into teaching, did you ever uh, have a bit of straight, like stage fright talking to a lot of people at once? Like it's no, I no, stage fright is something I've never understood. Wow. Uh, and I know it's <laughs> one of the most common fears. Um, I've never had even the littlest amount of, of anxiety around it. Um, and I, and I don't know, why I'm not a terribly outgoing person um, in my regular life. I'm actually pretty solitary, and uh, but you know, in terms of interacting with students, I'm not, I'm not shy in that way. Right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Doctor Liz. Sorry. Yeah, I yeah, Liz. <laughs> so towards the end of the show, I always ask my guests um, what advice would they want to give to young students yes. and students are coming to university and students who are graduating. So I'm graduating in April. Yeah. So what would your advice be? So I would say that no matter what you're doing, whether it's academic work or professional work or work on a team or, or whatever it is, the question I always come back to when when I'm doing my work as, as a teacher is. Um, how might I be very useful? And, you know, when I'm trying to lay out a lecture or something like that, I'm always saying, you know, what's the most useful thing I could say today? And, you know, when I'm laying out an assignment, okay, well, what, what information do they need? What would be very, very useful to my students? And that's worked out really well. And I think that when you're, you know, say that you're working in a group of people and you don't know what to do, rather than asking, hey, what should I do? Think about what would be very useful. And, and that's almost always the right thing to do. Um, 
And, you know, and if you're trying to think about how, you know, what should I do next on this project? Well, what would be very useful? And it's, almost, again, almost never the wrong decision to be to be someone useful and, and, and helpful, um, even if you don't think that you're able to contribute. I think that, you know, you might think that you're a junior and that you don't have anything to offer, but just by offering someone your, your full attention and offering them your help, you're actually making a, a big contribution.